If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tonight. We want to look at verses 13 through 18. The rapture of the church is what I've uh, titled the message here tonight. So, What's that? It could be. be. Wouldn't that be something? Wow, I didn't even get a chance to teach this. (laughs) I think we won't need any more teaching at that point. It'll all be first-hand experience. But yeah, some, someday, and we will see that uh, imminency uh, theme here as we work our way through here. But let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the privilege to be here tonight. Thank you for the privilege to pray and the privilege to uh, study in freedom. We thank you for how we are blessed and we have been blessed through the years. And uh, just pray that now for your, your blessing on all the ministries tonight, as far as the uh, Awana youth group, be with all the leaders Pray that nobody get hurt during game time, that kind of thing. We just uh, commit our our entire evening to you, and uh, again, minister to our hearts as we study together. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, well, you note the outline here. We uh, are in 1 Thessalonians. The day of Christ is the overarching theme, uh, Christ coming for the church, mentioned in every chapter. Um, We've worked our way through to where... Uh, I should have updated this. We are now in 13th through 18th, the coming of Christ for the church. Uh, That's where we are tonight. After a short stay there on his second missionary journey, uh, Paul was able to uh, see a church planted. God, God, of course, does the work. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. Uh, But a church was planted there, but he was only able to stay a few short weeks, maybe three, four, five. We don't know exactly how long, three Sabbaths. So it was a short uh, stay. And he is now desiring to come back, to be able to go back and follow up. We saw in chapter 3, verse 10, he says, Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect or complete what is lacking in your faith. So there were some gaps in their understanding yet, in their faith. They were people of faith. He commends them on this. And yet they were still young. And so he wants to continue to build into their lives. And I think really what he's looking at are the things that he brings out in chapter 4 and chapter 5. And uh, we noted there, I guess we could uh, put it up here, what we're looking at. Uh, First of all, uh, he emphasizes holiness. Uh, What is our sanctification? Uh, Well, sexual purity. This is our sanctification. This is what sets us apart from the world. And that's the emphasis in those first eight verses. And, And then brotherly love. Uh, or orderly, living an orderly life that's in keeping with brotherly love. And now the Lord's coming here at the end of chapter 4 and on in uh, to chapter 5. This is one of three key passages on the rapture. There are many passages that touch on the rapture, but there are three key passages in the New Testament. John 14, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where we are tonight. The 1 Thessalonians 4 passage is the seminal or classic rapture passage. This is the key one. Uh, The next great event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. It is our blessed hope. uh, At some point, Christ is going to come for the church. I don't see why it it can't happen in my lifetime. And, of course, it it can. If it's God's will, it will. Uh, But we have the hope, just like all the church saints have had down through the church age. Uh, We don't know when it's going to happen, but it will happen. Uh, Well, let's get into it. He now changes gears uh, from talking about uh, living an orderly life, if you will, uh, to now talking about uh, the coming of Christ for the church. And who wants to read verse 13? We'll kind of take this a little 
bite at a time here. Verse 13, who wants to read that for us? Yes, Joyce? Okay, so a um, little bit of background. We saw in chapter 1, verse 10, that uh, this was their uh, position. They got saved, he says, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So immediately when they were saved, the emphasis for this group of believers was to wait for the Lord from heaven. They were waiting for the Lord to come from heaven. And... Uh, so they were evidently immediately expecting Christ to come. That, that's the feel all the way through here. Uh, they weren't thinking, oh, this is going to happen somewhere way down. No, uh, this is imminent. Uh, we're expecting Christ to come. And so they got saved to wait for the Son from heaven. Now, as they're waiting, it hasn't been real long, but some have died. Some have died. And uh, now what? Are they going to miss out? They knew that uh, as they were living, they were expecting Christ to come and, and they were going to meet the Lord. But what about these who have died? That's their really burning uh, question. Uh, they knew the living were going to go, but what about those who have died? Uh, that's their, their question. By the way, as I say, this is... Uh, um, here. I guess that's it. <laughs> uh, I was thinking I had another slide in there, but I guess not. Uh, this is a real argument, though, for imminency. Uh, they were expecting the Lord to come anytime. Uh, imminent means it could happen anytime. We're not setting any dates, but it could happen at any time. And so he says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. He doesn't want them to be uninformed. He doesn't want them to, to be ignorant in the sense that they, they don't understand. Uh, he wants them to get it. And so he says, uh, specifically, uh, concerning those who have fallen asleep. So there's the issue. What about those who have fallen asleep? Uh, this is a, a metaphor for the, for the death of the believer. Uh, the word sleep, uh, in fact, the word cemetery literally means a sleeping place, which is an interesting uh, thought. Um, now, when we think about uh, sleep, uh, death being described as sleep, uh, we're not talking about uh, the soul, right? We're not talking about the soul. We're talking about uh, the body. And, uh, you know, you don't have to look too far. I mean, Christ told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. You know, he was going to experience paradise that very day. Uh, his soul was going to be very much alive, although he was going to die that day. Um, I, let's see, I don't have these references. I, yeah. Okay, I don't know how I got that out of order. This is the one I was going to talk to you about before. Uh, we see a strong argument for the coming of the Lord being imminent here. Uh, they were looking for the Lord from heaven, but were not expecting members of their group to die before he came. When some did die, they did not have answers about the status of the dead in Christ in relation to the rapture. So, so that's the issue there. Uh, let's see if I got these other ones here in order. Yeah, I do. Okay. Uh, one got way out of order. I don't know how, but we might have to go back. Uh, Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Uh, so, uh, and to depart and be with Christ is far better. So praise the Lord for the hope that we have as believers. When we die, it's a better experience. You know, it's not like, well, it's kind of, you know, no, it's far better. He doesn't say it's a little better. It's, it's far better. We have a little glimpse in the, the book of Revelation. These who uh, were martyred, he opened the fifth seal I saw under the 
alter the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So these are people who have been martyred. They've been killed. And he sees their souls. Uh, they're in heaven there. And uh, they cried with a loud voice. So they're able to express themselves. Uh, they know what's going on. And uh, they're, they're looking to the Lord here. They're crying with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So they're waiting for final judgment to fall and uh, to get where they're going, ultimately as far as the kingdom and so forth, and uh, for God to deal with, uh, with those who have done this to them. By the way, uh, when you think about sleep, as the metaphor uh, sleep for death, one thing about sleep is what? It's temporary. Exactly. Normally, you expect to wake up. And I know some people do die in their sleep. So you say, well, hey, that's going to ruin that illustration. But normally, we wake up, right? The expectation is, oh, they're sleeping. Uh, they'll wake up. Uh, and that's the idea here. Uh, it's a temporary condition, uh, those who have fallen asleep. And so he says he doesn't want them to be ignorant. He wants them to realize what their status is and what's going to happen. Uh, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Uh, so we do sorrow as, as believers when loved ones die. We sorrow. But it's different than the world. The world has no hope. I mean, this is it. This is everything for them. But we have a hope. Uh, we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. It's not that believers don't sorrow at all. Uh, Paul indicates that had Epaphroditus died, he would have had sorrow upon sorrow. Uh, Paul told the Roman believers to weep with those who weep. The point is that as believers, we do sorrow, but not as those who have no hope. So, you know, to say, well, you know, wipe your tears. There's nothing to cry about here. We're human. And there is that, it's hard when somebody close to us dies. Of course, there is sorrow there. But as fellow believers, there's also hope. We have it couched in a hope. And uh, unbelievers don't have this hope. Uh, Ephesians 2.12 says, uh, having no hope and without God. That's the status of the unbelievers. They don't have a hope. There's no purgatory. You know, that'd be a little bit of a hope, right? I could wish there was such a thing as purgatory. You know, you, you just pay for it a while. Maybe even a thousand years. And you get out. Uh, nope, sorry. There's no hope. There's not even a little glimmer of hope. No hope. Uh, that's the condition of the unbeliever. But for us, the word hope uh, is, a, is a wonderful New Testament word. It's a certain expectation in terms of God's promises, what he, that he will bring to pass, what he has promised us. Uh, that's the idea of, of our hope. And here he's really, it relates to the uh, afterlife, uh, the future after this life. Let's see here. We are told that the early Christian martyrs went to their deaths as if they were going to a marriage feast. One historian wrote, When the day of victory dawned, the Christians marched in procession from the prison to the arena uh, as they were marching to heaven with joyous countenances agitated by gladness rather than fear. So we see, uh, we see the attitude in, of those in the early church. Around 125 A.D., a Greek by the name of Aristides wrote, If any righteous man among the Christians passes from this world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God, and they accompany his body with songs and thanksgiving, as if he were setting out from one place to another nearby. <laughs> well, that's true. Uh, there's been a departure, but they've gone on to 
uh, we know where they've gone. They've gone to be with the Lord. In contrast, you know, there's a couple of verses in Proverbs. When a wicked man dies, his expectation, that's no hope, doesn't have an expectation. His expectation will perish. And the hope of the unjust perishes. Yep, that's what happens at death. Uh, no more hope. It's over. It's terrible. Uh, I'm kind of playing on the word grave here. No grave trouble will overtake the righteous, but the wicked shall be filled with evil. So, you know, grave, you know, I'm kind of, like I say, I'm just kind of doing a play on words there. Grave trouble. You don't want grave trouble. And uh, as, as believers, we, we don't have grave trouble. Okay, um, all right. Any other thoughts there before we go on here? Definitely, it's it's horrific. I mean, it's it's really. I mean, it's it's, it's horrifying uh, for us who have eyes to see. Sadly, they have no, there's no fear of God before their eyes. I mean, they, it's kind of like they open their eyes in terror. I mean, it's too late at that point. But uh, yeah, amen, brother. All right, uh, let's have somebody read verse uh, 14. Who wants to read that for us? Verse 14. Yeah, Anita. Okay, so uh, four here is first class condition. Could translate it since, since we believe. And as believers, we do believe. And really what he has here, when he says, since, uh, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that is really shorthand for the gospel. I mean, this is the key, uh, the key idea in, in the gospel. As we see, you know, in 1 Corinthians, we call it the resurrection chapter, but... Uh, Starts out with the gospel. I delivered you first of all that which I also received. We know he's talking about the gospel because he says that in the first two verses. And that is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And as he goes down, he says, therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. So this is the message right here that is believed by believers. And uh, so he says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and I like that combination of gospel emphasis, died and rose again. Uh, the death of Christ emphasizes him as Savior. The resurrection emphasizes him as Lord. And so you've got Savior and Lord there. And everything builds on this in terms of our hope. Uh, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So the resurrection of Christ ultimately has implications for us as believers. Uh, and we see this in, in different places. For example, uh, Romans eight eleven, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So... You have the, if you have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, if it lives inside you, it's a, it's a sure guarantee that you too will be one day raised back to life in your mortal body. In Philippians, you know, we're waiting for our Savior from heaven, but then he goes on to say, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. 
So we are waiting for this, uh, this great event to happen. And that's what he's describing here. Uh, now, when we die, uh, the body's very clear in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, so the body is uh, our tent, it's our house. But uh, when we leave this house, uh, we, we go to be with the Lord. So that's, that's the condition of, of the believer at the time of death. The soul is with the Lord. But note the language here. Uh, even so, God will bring with him. They're with the Lord, but now they're coming back with him. The whole context here is the return of the Lord. They're coming with him because they've been with him, and now he's bringing them back with him. That's what's going to happen. And note, even so, God will bring with him. Of course, Jesus is God, and he's bringing the, the souls of these departed believers with him. And specifically, he says, he will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So when they go to sleep in death, they go to be with the Lord. But now he's coming back, and he's bringing them with him. Uh, again, this is an interesting uh, phrase. Those who sleep in Jesus is really sleep through Jesus. Uh, it's the Greek uh, dia, uh, through. And it's the idea that uh, Jesus really abolished death. And that's what, uh, of course, yeah, I guess this is my right slide. I'm suspicious now. But anyway, uh, the nuance of sleeping through Jesus seems to be that Jesus has abolished death. As Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.10, it was Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The believer's experience of physical death is now rendered as sleeping because of Jesus. Death for us as believers has been robbed of its terror. I mean, it should be no more scary than going to sleep, right? I mean, that's how it's described here. And uh, God will one day uh, bring those who sleep with him. Um, John Wesley said, our people die well. And that's true. As Christians, as those who know the Lord... Uh, that's, that's certainly true. Note the uh, intimate connection between believing that Jesus died and rose again and those who sleep through Jesus. The sole condition that allows one to sleep through Jesus in death is to believe that Jesus died and rose again. All those who truly believe in the gospel when they die will sleep through Jesus. Uh, this metaphor applies really to believers. Uh, we are in a good condition. Uh, and of course, uh, unbelievers, you know, they have an, a whole other faith there. All right. Um, any other thoughts before we go on to verse 15? Okay, let's have somebody read verse 15. Who wants to read that for us? Verse 15. Yeah, Rob? Now come to you, Shane. Okay, and remember, the concern is that these are maybe going to be left behind. And he's saying, no, no, no. This we say to you by the word of the Lord. What's the emphasis there? It's got authority behind it, doesn't it? This is God's message. This isn't a matter of, of human opinion. He doesn't say, well, I think it might be this way. No, he's saying, this is by revelation. This is by the word of the Lord. And uh, here's what he has to say, that we who are alive and remain, some of us, and, and notice he includes himself there, I think Paul expected the Lord to, 
uh, to come during his lifetime. Uh, now, he realizes it might not happen in his lifetime, as we will see later. But uh, it's interesting, he includes himself, then we who are alive and remain, I think this was his hope, too, that Christ would come in his lifetime. Some will be alive when Christ comes, um, perhaps today. It may happen in our lifetime. Uh, it's going to happen sometime. Uh, some will be alive and remaining until the coming of the Lord. And that has, again, been our hope down through the church age. It's in all the centuries. It's always been our hope. Uh, Paul hoped that the Lord might come in his lifetime. However, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.10, it shows that he clearly realized that he might die beforehand. Thus, we see the doctrine of imminence, meaning that Christ could come at any time. He might come in our lifetime. He might not. Uh, his coming is ever imminent. The challenge, therefore, is to live ready all the time. But the point is that some believers will indeed be living when Christ comes again. So um, we don't know. Will he come in our lifetime? I don't know. We don't know. Uh, we're waiting. We're watching. And we're hoping. It's our blessed hope, right? That's true. But we don't know. Yeah. No, that's Oh, I think that's a great insight, brother. Amen to that. I, I think that is. If you think there's an urgency and you're expecting the Lord to come at any time, uh, and that that probably pushes you. Yeah, absolutely. And and even in in warning people, you know, now is the time. Uh, don't put it off. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so. Um, he says here, we tell you this by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. There's a double negative here. It's, it's very strongly saying uh, this will not happen. Will by no means precede, that is, go ahead of those who are asleep. They will be at no disadvantage. They're not going to be left out. They're not going to be left behind. Uh, no. Uh, they're going to participate in this. We will not precede those who are asleep. We're not going to get a jump on them. Uh, here's perhaps what's in view. Let me bring up my next slide. It is interesting that just uh, a little later in chapter 5, Paul says they were well informed about the day of the Lord. And uh, he's going to say that. He's going to emphasize that in chapter 5. Now, that, that's significant, I think. Uh, they were well informed about the day of the Lord and the times and the seasons related to it. So they, they kind of had this concept down. Uh, this may well imply that they understood the truth about a future resurrection of Old Testament saints in conjunction with the conclusion of the day of the Lord, judgment, when Christ comes to set up his kingdom at the second coming, as seen in Daniel 12. That relates to the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a tribulation period that culminates in the second coming of Christ and the resurrection of the Old Testament saints. Well, they knew there was, if they were well acquainted with the day of the Lord, they knew about Daniel 12 then. They knew there's going to be a resurrection at the, at the coming of Christ. So maybe this is what's in view. They may have been thinking, does this mean that those of us who have died will completely miss out on the glorious event of the rapture? I mean, if they hadn't been told the dead are going to be involved in that event, they said, well, I suppose they'll just come along with the Old Testament saints when they're resurrected. Uh, so that's maybe what they're thinking. Will they completely miss out on the glorious event of the rapture? 
and that they will have to wait for the resurrection at the time of the kingdom. Uh, the concern was whether or not those who have died will partake in the rapture. Or will they be put on hold, so to speak, like the Old Testament saints? We believe those Old Testament saints are not going to be resurrected till the, the second coming of Christ. And so, they, being well informed about the day of the Lord, they might have thought, well, okay, we are going to go. Christ is going to come for us. But what's going to happen to these people who have died? That was their question. He says, I'm telling you by the word of the Lord on the authority of divine revelation that we will by no means precede those who are asleep. We're not going to get a hold ahead of those Old Testament saints. We are in the church age. We're the next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture. It's a church, it's a church event. It's a church only event, by the way, as we will see in verse 17. Um, then you have the, uh, the tribulation, the day of the Lord. Tribulation. At the end of that, you have the second coming of Christ. The Old Testament saints are going to be resurrected. They too are going to go into the kingdom. But uh, they, were not, they were trying to figure out, well, if these have died, are they... What about this here? We're going to go in this, us who are alive. But what about those? Are they going to have to wait until this event at the second coming? Uh, so are they going to miss out and not be involved in this uh, event with us? Are they going to be left behind, uh, left out of this? He's saying, no, that's not going to happen. They're not going to miss out on the rapture at all. In fact, they're going to, go, they're going to be the first to be involved in this event. And he clarifies it now in verses 16 and 17. All right, any other thoughts there? Yeah, okay. Either way, Andrew, go ahead, and we'll go to Vance. Right? I would, to answer your question, I would go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which I just flipped there, and uh, where uh, Paul says, uh, you know, in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Really, he's describing a glorified body. And then he goes on to say, uh, we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed without a body, but to be further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. So I think God created us body, soul, and spirit. He, he intended for us to live in a body. It's not normal uh, to be unclothed without a body. It's not a natural condition that God ordained for mankind. Death is the consequence of sin. So, and then he goes on to say, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us a spirit as a guarantee. So I think... This is what God has ordained for us to live in in a body. 
Christ was resurrected, you know, in his glorified body, and we're going to get a glorified body just like him. The only answer I can really give you is this is what God has ordained. It's not like I think they're missing out. It's far better, he says. But I don't think it's the completion. I don't think it's the ultimate arrival yet until we have our glorified body either. Majorly. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be a body like Christ has in his resurrection. Oh, yeah. Sorry, you are stuck with that body. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but no, Christ got his body back, right? Yeah. I mean, we're going to get our bodies back too. I mean, it's going to be in glorified form. But we're going to get this body back. It's, not going to be, it's going to be a different form. But it's going to be the resurrection of this body. No matter how far it breaks down, God's still going to... He's going to if he can create everything out of nothing, he has no problem bringing it back. Sure. You know, whatever's left of the DNA, no matter how far it breaks down. But anyway, yeah, Vince, sorry. Amen. I think that is way overlooked in our day. It's people like the body doesn't matter. It's in, it's inconsequential. It's insignificant. I think it's holy. It's it's what God has created. I don't want to make a statement to God that it's it's not important myself. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Absolutely. Yes. One through five. Okay. Then I want to clarify because I don't feel like I have the right. Okay. So at the start of tribulation, the day Christ arrives first, will there be any judgment in Or just the saints are reading the At the end of the tribulation period. Daniel twelve, one and two. Thank you, I knew you would have Yeah. I mean there's other places too, but that's probably the most prominent one. I'm sorry, Vince. Did I leave you out? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah, First Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. And, and then he unfolds it there. That's right. Rob? Yeah, no. I don't think so. Christ was the first fruits. I mean, Christ was the very first one to ever get a glorified body. They were transfigured there, you know, and it was like a preview of the kingdom. And, and uh, so, uh, but no, I don't think anybody, even to this day, has a glorified body other than Jesus Christ himself. Okay. That's right. That's First Corinthians 15. That's the that's the that's one of the other key uh, rapture passages. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's true. Uh, so yeah, we live in mortal bodies that are breaking down, 
and uh, it comes to a point they die and they continue to break down and they'll be in that weak state as Paul describes it until it's resurrected in power and glory. Yeah, well, yeah, we're, we're all looking towards that upgrade. That's for sure. It's going to be something, isn't it? It'll be amazing. Yeah. Okay, anyone else? All right. Uh, very good. Let's go on to read verse 16. Who wants to read that? 16. I'm sorry, Shane. I forgot you too. Yeah, verse 16. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> Love this verse. Uh, the Lord Himself is in the emphatic position. It's at the first, uh, at the start of the sentence. It's in the, it's in the prominent position, in the emphatic position, as they call it. Note the Lord Himself uh, emphasizing Him personally here. This is His personal activity. This is Lordship activity, right? The Lord Himself. Uh, will descend. He's not sending just an angel to do it. The Lord's coming himself. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. So, so he has gotten off of his throne here. It's his right hand to God the Father. Now he's coming. I mean, he himself is coming in person. And he will descend from heaven with a shout. This is the shout of a command. This word was uh, often used of a military officer barking out a command. So he's coming with a, with a military command, if you will, a divine shout of command. Uh, with lordship authority. And uh, so I always think about this because, um, you know, this shows lordship power to raise the dead. Uh, it, it's an amazing thing. Erwin uh, Lutzer tells this story. Maybe you've heard Erwin Lutzer tell this story. He used to teach a class at Moody uh, Bible College in, in Chicago. And uh, he would have this class and he would take them out. There were preachers in this class and he would take them out to the cemetery and say, we're going to preach to the dead today. And uh, he said, some of these kids would just get white. It's like they were so embarrassed, you know. And so he'd say, well, if you won't do it, I will. And he'd go, Jonathan, get up! Raise up from the dead! And he'd go on like this. And, and he, his point was, you're going to be preaching to a lot of dead people, spiritually speaking. And unless God works in a mighty, miraculous way, nothing's going to happen. And you're going to be sometimes saying, nothing's happening here. You have to preach on. And uh, so anyway, he was making his point. But here the point is, when the Lord comes with a shout and he says, get up, everybody's going to get up. And he's going to summon the church to himself. Christ has this kind of power. Here in John chapter 5, do not marvel at this. The hour is coming in, in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Uh, the lost and the saved. Uh, and shall come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Two basic categories of resurrection. Uh, resurrection of the just and resurrection of the unjust. We see this in different places in the scriptures. But what I want us to see is uh, Christ has uh, all who are in the graves will hear his voice. And come forth, in this case, the resurrection of life. The resurrection of the believers, of the church. And uh, when you think about this, um, it's a good thing uh, Christ is a little selective. Remember when he said to Lazarus, come forth? Lazarus came forth. Good, good thing he said Lazarus, otherwise everybody would have come forth, right? 
Uh, Here everyone in the church that has died is going to come forth. He will descend from heaven with a shout. And then it says with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. Now there's some discussion. Is this kind of like three things emphasizing the same thing? It certainly is clustered around the same event, right? Uh, that we call the, the rapture. And, uh, but it's interesting, this voice of an archangel. How many archangels are there? Well, there's only one that's named, right? There might be more. But we got Michael named. He's the only one that's specifically named. There may be more. We don't really know for sure. But Michael is certainly named. He's the only one that's named. And uh, Michael, it's interesting that it talks about the voice of an archangel here. You got, you got the Lord descending from heaven with a shout, military command. <clears throat> but then you've got the voice of an archangel. If it is Michael, uh, Michael has a special place in the scriptures. You know what it is? It's in relationship to Israel. And so some have kind of thought along these lines here. I don't, I, I'm not dogmatic here at all. I'm just going to tell you what Tim LaHaye says. Uh, but uh, here in Daniel 12.1, before we get to the resurrection verse of verse 2, at that time Michael shall stand up. Well, where has he been? Has he been seated? Uh, he's going to stand up. There's going to be some special uh, call to attention here. He's going to stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. That's Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And and at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. So Michael's going to have a special role here in this context in relationship to Israel. You could talk all night about what that might be in different, you know. But uh, LaHaye says the voice of an archangel is signaling that Michael is to lead Israel for the seven-year tribulation as he did in the Old Testament. Well, that might be a pretty good guess. I don't know. You know, after the church is raptured out, then the attention does become, once again, Israel. And Michael has a special role in relationship to Israel. I don't know how much you want to read in there, but it is interesting, uh, the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Uh, There's lots of trumpets in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, Israel uh, was summoned by trumpets. Uh, Sometimes it it signified judgment. Sometimes it was a summons to assemble, uh, those kind of things. Um, But this trumpet here, when it says, uh, uh, with the trumpet of God, 1 Corinthians 15, 52, that parallel passage on the rapture, talks about the last trumpet. This being the last trumpet. Well, the last trumpet in relationship to what? There's all kinds of trumpets in the tribulation period. So this isn't the last one, period. But the last trumpet would uh, seem to indicate the completion of the church. Last denotes completion. And uh, so note my slide here. In general, the trumpets of God either signal judgment or summons, or they summons his people to assemble. As such, there are a variety of trumpets, but a trumpet signals a message of some kind. Here it signals the summons of the church to assemble to the Lord Jesus Christ in the air. Uh, That is certainly the context that we're talking about here as we go on into verse 17. Um, But then he says, when this happens, uh, this cluster of activity, maybe it's just all happening in kind of a combination, uh, certainly happening in combination, Uh, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. 
So they're not left out here. They're going to rise first. They're going to be in the first place here in this event. They're going to be, uh, and notice it says, the dead where? In Christ. What kind of a phrase is in Christ? Is that an Old Testament phrase? No, that's a New Testament phrase. All over the New Testament, we are in Christ. Nobody's spoken of as in God, even in the Old Testament, uh, in Messiah, in Christ. That's a New Testament phrase related to the church. This is a church event. The dead in Christ, not the Old Testament saints. They weren't in Christ, not in that, that unique relationship with Christ that we, we've been baptized into the body of Christ. We're in Christ. Uh, no, this is a, a, a church event. It's a church-only event. The dead in Christ will rise first. Not the Old Testament saints, not the tribulation saints. Uh, no, this is uh, the church age saints. They will, the dead in Christ will rise first. So here they come. Christ comes with a shout, the voice of archangel, trumpet of God, and there they come. They're coming out of their graves. And that's not the end of the story. We have verse 17. But any other thoughts? Yeah, Vince? Wow. That's a great illustration. Everybody's going to be uh, responding. Amen. That's great. Amen. That's great, Vince. Thanks for sharing that. That, that makes it live for sure. Yeah, it will be. That's for sure. Yep. Amen. That's incredible. And, you know, uh, there's a lot happening. The souls of those believers are coming. They're going to be reunited with those bodies, and they're going to be coming up, and it's going to be all within the twinkling of an eye. So, I mean, it's happening very, very quickly. But there's a lot happening here, for sure. I believe so. I, I, I believe that's true. I think it's unnatural to be unclothed. Even though it's a better experience, yet there's something missing. And God intended us to function in a body. And, and he has prepared us for this very thing, as it says there. So, amen. All right, let's finish out. Who wants to read verse 17 and 18 to finish us out? Yeah, Albert. Okay, so again, uh, we have the dead in Christ rising first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Uh, Again, this is going to be a very small time frame. Uh, There's an exact order here, as the dead are raised first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. However, the time element is so small that it is inconsequential. 1 Corinthians 15, 52 says this whole transaction will take place in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. 
How long does it take to have, is, is the twinkling of an eye quicker than the blink of an eye? I, I think the twinkle is just that little sparkle, or, or you know, or it's, it's quicker than a blink. It's a very short amount of time here. We're not talking, oh man, you just watch it, you'll see it. I I think it'll be so fast you won't be able to see it. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And the main point is we shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We will all share in the same event. We'll all share in the same destiny, both the dead in Christ and those who are still living at His coming. That's that's what's comforting to them. Our loved ones, they're not going to miss out. We're all going to share in this together. Even though they've died, they're not going to miss out. And that's what he's saying here. <laughs> you know, I have a feeling our eyes are going to be so focused in on, on our Lord. We're probably not even going to be looking around too much. But Yeah. Well, it's a great question, and, and the answer from, from my reading, and I've read quite a bit on that, is that we are not really told. So it's kind of like some think, well, maybe it will be like uh, some, when they heard a voice, you know, in the, in, when Christ was in his ministry, and yet they were like, well, what was that? Uh, you know, I don't know. We're not really told. It is a church event. It will happen quickly. So, um, you know, I don't know that it's a prolonged uh, shout. Just a single shout, maybe. What what in the world? I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know that we know, really. Yeah. Well, the effects will. Oh, I think so. Especially especially if you have a, a context where there's a lot of Christians. You know, there's a lot of places in the world where there's hardly any Christians. Probably won't be missed much at all. But if it happened today in the States, I would like to think there'd still be a sizable amount of uh, disruption here. (laughs) What's that? Oh, yeah, the UFOs. Those people that were rebellious wouldn't get on board with community standards. Uh, They've been removed. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'm sure they will. And I'm sure the Antichrist will then step forward and say, you know what? Uh, Yeah, I've got an explanation for that. Who knows? We're all speculating now. But anyway... Uh, okay, uh, then we were alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, this word har- uh, caught up is the Greek word harpazo, harpazo. It means to snatch up. Uh, you know, it could be used of a pickpocket who you know, snatched a wallet. He raptured it, <laughs> snatched it up. Uh, caught up is, is the idea. Uh, somebody says, well, you know, we use the word rapture. It's not really a Bible word. It actually is. Um, but you've got to just get there in a certain way. And here's how you get there. People sometimes say the, the word rapture is not found in the Bible, but it, it, that's really not true. Greek is uh, harpazo, meaning caught up. Uh, Latin translation is rapturo. That's where we get rapture. The English rendering is rapture. So you just got to go to a Latin translation. That's all. It's right there in the Latin. Anyway, uh, so actually the Latin Bible does have the actual word rapture. We borrowed it, we borrowed it from the Latin. Uh, it is the literal translation of the harpazo in Latin. So anyway, it's a perfectly fine word. 
you know, we can borrow, we can borrow. That's what English does, right? English borrows all kinds of words from all over the place, right? So anyway, uh, shall be caught up together, together. Note this double emphasis, together with them. Double emphasis. Uh, there's going to be a grand reunion. Uh, what a reunion that's going to be. I say the church is all going to be together for the first time and we're all going to be on time. First time, but we're all going <laughs> to... Nobody's going to be late here on this day. We're all going to be there and we're all going to be on time. And what a reunion that's going to be. Uh, I think we're going to know each other. Um, you know, we're going to get our glorified bodies back. They knew Jesus after his resurrection. Uh, Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration still continue to have their identity. Uh, I believe that, uh, you know, when he says we'll be caught up together with them, that is significant. Well, we're going to be together again, and it's going to be appreciable. Uh, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds uh, to meet the Lord in the air. So this is a meeting in the air. It's not on earth, right? At this point, we're not expecting Christ to come back to the earth. No, next up is the, the meeting in the air. This is a meeting in the air, which was a mystery. They knew about the second coming of the Messiah to the earth to come and set up his kingdom and reign. That's Old Testament revelation. This was a mystery. Uh, the whole church was a mystery, including what's going to happen to the church in, in terms of the rapture here. Uh, this is now just being revealed. Uh, so we're going to uh, meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Note the emphasis on the Lord here. Uh, we sometimes put the emphasis on grandma, and that's great. We're going to be happy to see grandma. She's a believer, you know, no doubt about that. But I really think uh, the major thing is going to be the Lord himself. And then one another too. I mean, they're both emphasized here. But there is a, a pronounced emphasis on the Lord. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Uh, you know, the word Lord is uh, mentioned five times in verses 15 through 17 here. This is a Lordship event. It really is. And... Uh, I like this, we shall always be with the Lord. You know, we as the church are the bride of Christ. And wherever the groom goes, the bride goes. He's not going to leave us behind. And we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Uh, he's going to rule. We're going to rule with him. Wherever he goes, we go. And we're going to share in everything he's about uh, forever and ever. We shall, and thus we shall always be with the Lord forever and ever. And then he says, therefore... Comfort one another with these words. You know, he talks about uh, those who have no hope in verse 13, but we have this hope, and it's a comfort. It's an encouragement. Uh, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Let me finish out here. Christ told us that it's not for us to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Not for us to know. We don't know. Don't set any dates. I mean, you're out of the will of God if you're setting dates because you, you just don't know. He said it's not for you to know. And yet Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 11 that we are those upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We know we live at the end. We just don't know how much end there is, right? <laughs> uh, we know we're at the end. We are those upon whom the end has come. We, we are living at the end. And if you want a sign for that, just look at Israel. In the latter days, they will come back in blindness. They're, they're there, in blindness. Paul says, uh, and do this, knowing the time. So we do know the time, right? In a sense, knowing the time, what time is it? It's time to wake up. <laughs> that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now, 
our salvation is nearer than we first believed. We like it to be a little more specific. He just said, it's getting closer. We know what time it is. It's getting closer. It's getting closer. And it is all the time. I've told you this. Uh, let's see. Do I have one more slide? Maybe not. Yeah, I do. Uh, Paul wrote this about 2,000 years ago. And still we wait. The point is the coming of Christ for the church is ever imminent. He could come at any time. We are called to live ready. And so I say, as I often do, perhaps today, live ready, right? Live ready. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder what's going to happen, like, you know, when we get caught up in the clouds of the Lord. Uh-huh. Here come Delta Airlines. <laughs> 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 I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it won't be a problem. <laughs> maybe go right through them. You know, Christ could go right through walls in his resurrected body. So maybe we just go right through the airline. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm sure we will be faster. Yeah, it will, it will not be a problem. I'm sure of that. Okay. Anyone else? Yes, Andrew. Yes, it talks about their resurrection at the end of the book of Revelation. And so those, those, those saints who are martyred, and they're, they're crying to be, you know, when's God going to bring the judgment on the world and, and for them to have their final deliverance? Yeah, they will be resurrected at the, at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, Revelation it's twenty twenty one. It's, it's in there. Uh, maybe the beginning of chapter 21 there. Uh, I have to look, but yeah. All right. Anyone else? Yes, Kate. Uh, it made me think of the uh, first John chapter three, which is the fearful Yep. Yeah, it has a sanctifying pro. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Has a sanctifying effect in your life. If you really believe this, and you're looking forward to His imminent coming, it does affect how you live. That's for sure. Amen. Thanks for sharing that. All right, anyone else? Okay, let's share some prayer items. Uh, prayer sheets, anyone? Anybody need a prayer?